Last weekend, Pastor Devin kicked off a new series for June, a series we're calling Faves. And so we decided we would do a series called Faves, and we're just talking about what, what's our favorite book? What's the most impactful book that we have um, ever read? And, and I'm, I'm a big reader, and so that, that was a huge decision for me. So I had to narrow down. As I started narrowing down some books, I, I immediately realized what had the, one of the biggest impacts on my life. And it's a, a small book. There's no pictures in it, but it's a small book. So I told the earlier crowd this morning that um, just because you hear me preach on it <clears throat> doesn't mean you don't have to read it. So it's The Believer's Authority by Kenneth Hagin. And it was actually written from this book, The Authority of the Believer from John McMullen, which was a series of articles all the way back in the 30s. And so I, I want to share with you this morning, my title would be The Believer's Authority. The reason why it is my favorite book is because it absolutely opened my eyes to see the victory and the authority that I had as a, as a believer over the enemy. It's not something that uh, I was taught growing up, even though I thought I was in a pretty good church, until I started hearing about authority and reading the book, it opened my eyes. To let you know a little bit about the author, Kenneth Hagin, um, who was about 17 years old, and he had a couple of incurable diseases. He was on his deathbed. He had wasted away to basically nothing. They told his family that it was over and done. They were making funeral arrangements for him. And God, he started having visions with Jesus. He, um, he visited hell. He, he had these visions from heaven. God started ministering to him about healing, and he was healed on his deathbed of those incurable diseases. And from that, that became a catalyst for his ministry. Uh, over 50-some years of ministering faith, ministering healing, ministering prosper, uh, prosperity, ministering faith. A lot of people would know him as the, um, the father of sort of the modern faith movement, and he was kicked out of the Baptist church and the Assemblies of God church for preaching on things like healing. Here's what I would say about those things. If it requires faith, it's of God. I mean, it takes no faith to believe in sickness, right? It takes no faith to believe in, in, in things like being broke. But it takes faith to believe in some things like prospering. It takes faith to believe in things like healing. So if it requires faith, how many know that's of God? And so he eventually started Rhema Bible Training Center, Rhema Church in, in Tulsa, uh, actually got to meet him. Actually, he actually laid hands on us before the uh, the last church we were at, and so um, I appreciate his works and his writings. And so I'm going to preach from his book, The Believer's Authority. And when I say that it was a book that radically changed my thinking, I mean that with all my heart. I'm not just trying to sell you a book this morning. I make no proceeds off of it, right? So um, it, it, I do think every believer should read it. Actually, let me ask, has anyone in here read that book, The Believer's Authority? Yeah, I know a lot of people around here we passed that book out to. So I, I'm going to do my best to preach from this book. And I would say that the theme of this book is, is this, that the devil has to recognize the authority of God in your life. The devil has to recognize the authority of God in your life. My favorite quote from the book is this quote. Our combat with the devil should always be with the consciousness that we have authority over him because he is already a defeated foe. He's already a defeated foe. Now, in the foreword of the book, Brother Hagin begins to ask a question which kind of created his studies. And he said this. He asked this question. He was wondering... Do we have authority that we don't know about, that we haven't discovered, that we're not using? After studying scripture and, and praying, he came to this conclusion. He said, we as a church have authority on this earth that we have never ever yet realized. It's authority that we're not yet using. 
And so what I want to do this morning, I don't know everyone's background, and so some of you may know a lot about the authority of God, and so I would say if you know a lot about the authority of God, just open your heart to learn some more. Some of you have never maybe ever heard about the authority of God. I believe this is going to be a life changer for you. So you all ready to go? Let's start in the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, I'm going to start in chapter 1, read you a few verses Paul was writing this to the church there in Ephesus, and this is what he says. He says, for this reason, uh, and he explains the reason, ever since I heard that you had faith in Jesus and you had love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. So Paul is full of this excitement about what he's hearing about this church, and he said, I keep remembering you in my prayers. Now he's going to tell us what he was praying. He said, I keep on asking that the God of Jesus The glorious Father would give you a spirit of wisdom, and he would give you revelation so that you would know him better. Isn't that a good prayer? If I prayed a prayer as your pastor, I'd say, God, I want them to have wisdom. I want them to have revelation. I just want them to know you more. That's what Paul's praying. And he goes on, and he said, so I keep praying that the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart. You know, we have eyes up here, but we have eyes in our core, our spirit man. And he said, I'm praying that your eyes would be what? Enlightened. One translation said you would be flooded with light. You'd be flooded with revelation. So that's my prayer. I want you to be flooded where it counts with a spirit of revelation. Look what it says. In order that you would know the hope that he's called you to, so you would have hope, um, so that you would know the riches of the inheritance as his people, so you would know the blessings of God that are yours, and that you would check this out. It goes on and says, in his incomparably great power for us who believe. Anyone believe? Then Paul's praying, I also want you to have revelation. I want you to have an encounter of the power of God. Everyone say power. Power. Now, we say that word in the English language, and we just power, right? Sounds a little strong, but then he explains the type of power. He says, it's the power, it's the same power, it's the same mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Check, Check that out. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, from the grave, Paul saying, I want you as a church, I want you to know that power. Not just some good feeling power, power that actually raised a dead person from the grave. The power that raised Jesus up out of the grave. The same power that won victory over death, won victory. He said, that's the power I'm talking about. That's the power I want you to encounter. So not just feel good power, but life changing power. He said, it's the same power that when he exerted on Jesus, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but all the ages to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and he appointed him as the head of the church, which we are the church. So think about that. Jesus is the head of the church. We're the church. Because we're his body, we can experience that power. And because he is raised up and all things are under his feet, check this out. If it's under the feet of Jesus, it's actually under your feet. Because he's the head, we're the body. How many know where the body and the head go? They go together, right? It'd be weird if your head just showed up this morning and your body's somewhere else. Now, I know sometimes your body shows up and your head's somewhere else, right? But it all came together, right? So, sorry. Jesus is the head, we're the body. We go where he goes. And if it's under his feet, guess what? It's under your feet. And, and here's a really good working definition of the word authority. Authority, let me, let me say this the way I wrote it down. Authority is the right to act in a specific way. If you have authority, then you have a right to act in a specific way. Here's the thing about authority. I want you to learn this morning that you as a believer have authority that God's given you. When authority shows up, whatever is in chaos and whatever is in confusion gets in order. 
whatever is bound gets free. Whatever's in fear comes to faith. Whatever's torment comes to peace. Whatever's a potential problem, there comes protection. That's what authority does. It brings things into order. So there may be some areas of your life that are out of order. They're in disorder. There may be some things coming against you. They're out of order. Authority brings those things back into alignment, brings those things back into authority. So like I do every week, I want to share with you three points. You say, why do you share three points? Because three points are hard to, or they're easy to understand, they're easy to explain, they're easy to take home and do, and they're Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So we got three, right? If I got a parent, I got, I got like 14 points for you this morning. Everybody be like, oh my gosh, how long is this going to take? But I say three, right? We can get through three. Y'all ready for them? Number one, so, so authority is actually delegated power. To delegate something means I give you something, I entrust you with something, I empower you with something. So if authority is just delegated power, let's understand what we just read. It's ta- we're talking about the power that raised Jesus from the grave. We're talking about the power of God, the power of the Spirit of God. And the Bible says this, what God did was he took all of that power and he delegated it to you. Now, if I was God, I probably wouldn't delegate power to me. But God trusts us. And he delegates all of his power, the same power that raised Christ from the grave, and he delegated it to you. That means there has to be a person or an organization or some entity that holds a, a source of power, and then they, they give that or they delegate that to someone. And that's what God's done. All the power of God, the power of heaven, he's delegated that to us. Now, if we understand scripture right, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them, and the Bible said the, the, what he gave them was what? Dominion. So after creating them, he said, I give you authority and dominion and power. And we know this, that Adam's sin forfeited that. And that's the sad part of the story. The good part of the story, though, is the Bible said that Jesus went to the cross, became a curse, and he took back that authority, and he took back that original. So the original dominion and the original plan of God is still the same plan. Jesus had to just go get it back, and then he gave it to us as the church. And so we need to begin to learn and understand that we do have authority. And there are some things in our life. Now, let let me say this. This is at the end of my notes, but I feel like I should say it now. Sometimes our life gets to a place and we get in freak-out mode. Things are falling apart. Finances are challenged. Relationships are... And so we get to a place and things get real intense. And we start trying to figure out authority. And we start trying to figure out our resolve. And I'll just share this with you. When you get to freak-out mode or the freak-out place, it's not the time to figure out what you believe. And it's not the time to figure out your resolve. And it's not the time to find out about walking in authority. Those things reveal our faith. They don't make our faith. They reveal our faith. And so in the in-between time, in the meantime, how should we be functioning? We should be practicing authority, exercising our authority. You might need authority in a larger degree one day, but all these days that you've been practicing authority, when that opportunity or that challenge comes, you'll be able to function in authority. How many have ever tried to figure it out when you're in the middle of the freak-out mode? So instead of walking like in the name of Jesus, we're like, God, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, we're we're in freak out mode. We've all been there. But what if I said to you that if we begin to exercise and walk and practice the authority and the things of God on a regular basis, we could walk in more authority. Look at this scripture. This is Luke chapter 10, and this this is actually verse 19, and it says this. Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority. Think about that. 
Jesus said, I'm imparting my authority, his power, his dominion to us. Why? Look what it says. To trample over his kingdom. You will trample on every demon before you, and you will overcome every power that Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in what? Authority. So we're given this commission. We're given this challenge. We're given this, this, uh, this uh, mandate by God that you and I walk in authority. Now, if I said that this morning, I, I think all of us start thinking about, man, I don't know if I have authority. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if, I'm, if I have enough power. It's just little old me. Well, I'm going to help you with that. I'll show an illustration in a moment. But let me say this to you, that one thing the devil wants to do is to keep you from knowing about the authority of God. It's one of the messages he does not want you to know about. There are some messages, you know, this is how the devil works, because he he, can't, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So he wants to keep you from the love of Jesus. If he can't do that, he wants to keep you from being saved. If he can't do that, he wants to keep you from walking in greater revelation. If he, if he can't keep you from Christ, he'll be all right with you just coming to church and sitting there and never changing. That's how the devil works. But he does not want you to get revelation because it's life-changing. And it's, it's, it's dangerous for him when a believer begins to walk in authority. When you begin to know about grace... When you begin to know about the power of the Holy Spirit, when you begin to know about things of faith, the devil's hold on your life has an expiration date. And he'll do everything to keep you from getting revelation. And he doesn't want you to hear this message this morning. And there are some things when the Bible says he imparts his authority to us, it means he shares some things with us. Here's one thing that, that Jesus shares with you, his name. His name. Let's make that make some sense. So if, if, um, if my daughter goes, this is crazy illustration, my one daughter goes to the other daughter, and she says, that last popsicle's mine. And my other daughter says, no, that popsicle's not yours. Ah. <laughs> and she said, no, it's mine. She said, who, who said it's yours? And she says, well, mom said so. Okay, let me use a different illustration. Let's just say someone walks up here on stage, and they set a chair right there, and they sit in the chair. And you're like, what are you doing? Well, the guy in the sound booth said I could. Okay, get off the stage. But what if he says, well, Pastor Aaron said I could sit up here. Not that I'm anybody, but I'm in charge here. It's a different level of authority. So if, when the devil starts messing with you, and you're like, no, enough of that. That stops. Well, who said so? My dad said so. Uh, Jesus says so. The name, see, we can use the name. Why, why does, when sickness is talking to you, see, your problem, your challenge is always talking. Wah, 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 wah. Oh, wait, you lay down at night. Wah, 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 wah. You get up in the morning. Wah, 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 wah. Hey, you, that needs to stop. Why does that need to stop? Because in the name of Jesus, he shares his name. And everything bows to the name of Jesus. Every torment. Every pain, every sickness, every problem, every strategy bows at the name of who? Jesus. Jesus. In other words, who said so? Jesus said so. Sickness, you need to leave my life. Well, who said so? Jesus said so. See, there's a name above all names. He also shares with us his blood. That's our evidence that we're forgiven. That's our evidence that we're redeemed. That's our evidence that we're right. Well, who says you're going to heaven? Well, the blood of Jesus says so. Who says you're righteous? You don't always ask. The blood of Jesus. That's my plea. That's my evidence. 
And he shares his spirit with you, his power with you. We just read about I impart the power that raised Jesus from the grave into little old you. Now, now, now here, here, let me use this, this little illustration to help you. Let's say it's Saturday night. It's October. Big football game. Morgantown. Mountaineer Field. 70,000 of your closest friends are there. And it's a close ball game. And it's back and forth. Now, if we go by the last few years, we probably lose. But I believe there's some hope for the future, right? So let, whether we lose or whether we rent, win, you, there are 70,000 of you that are very emotional, you're either very excited or you're very, very mad. And probably some of your friends that were there in the stadium, not your friends, but just some people that were there, are probably a little intoxicated. So we got this crazy formula of intensity, excitement, disappointment, all this stuff happening, and now you're exiting the stadium. And 70,000 of you are going to leave the stadium to try to get home as quick as you can. Whether it's through the mile ground, whether it's through downtown, whether it's through Star City, Evansdale, everyone's leaving. Everyone's mad. Now they're behind the, 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 you know, this several-ton vehicle that can go 100 miles an hour trying to leave as fast as they can, trying to get out. And, 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 and think about the power that's behind that intensity. Here's the most amazing thing. If you watch as you come to intersections, there'll be a police officer who will walk out and do this. Now, in the natural, does that police officer have the power to stop that several-ton vehicle coming rapidly at them with excited or ticked-off fans? No. But he does have something. It's called authority, and he has a badge on. And that badge may not actually literally stop it, but there is authority behind that badge. Even if that authority is contested with, if that authority is challenged, we've seen that, a police officer dealing with someone and all of a sudden they become volatile and if, if the police officer has to, he'll call in some backups. Listen, there may be some things coming at you in life. There may be some things trying to challenge you and you may not in the natural feel like you're big enough, but you've got a badge just called a believer and, you, it, and sometimes you think you've got to do something and all you've got to do is watch Stand. Now, in the natural, you may not have the power, but you do have the authority because it's been delegated to you. And there are some things in your life that you may need to go home this week and say, that thought needs to stop right there. That addiction needs to end right here. That sickness needs to stop right here. Well, who said so? Batch, his name. He said so. My daddy said so. My father said so. His blood was shed so I could do this. He took the authority and he delegated it to you. So authority is just power being delegated to you. Isn't that some good stuff? Yeah. All right, life point number two. If you like that one, check out this one. Life point number two. Authority is exercised by faith. Authority is exercised by faith. Now, instead of the word faith, let me use a few other words that are the same meaning. I could say this. Authority is power delegated to you, but it only works when you exercise it with confidence, courage, and boldness. So authority is power delegated to you, but it only works when it's exercised by boldness, courage, and confidence. So if I took the keys to my vehicle and I tossed them to Damien, I said, hey man, here's my keys, and I leave town. And Damien calls me up. He's like, yeah, man, I, I, I got to get from here to there. You know, it's like 30 minutes. I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't get there. Well, 
I gave you my keys. Yeah, I mean, you know what, man? I washed your car. It looks good. Uh, look, here's a, here's a selfie of me in the car. Looks good. This is, I've been walking around. I've been thanking Jesus all day. I'd be like, dude, I gave you the keys. Yeah, thank you for that. Praise the Lord. Got the keys. I'm going to shout about it. Put the key in the ignition. Start that thing up and progress. And it takes some confidence to know, you know what? He gave me the keys. I have, what do keys mean? Access, responsibility. If he gave me the keys to the car, access. Gave me the keys to the car. I'm responsible for this. I can do this. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, verse nine. Look what it says. I love this. Be well balanced. Now, let me just step aside here for a second. We could preach a whole sermon here. How many know in the church world we need some more well-balanced people? I believe the word of God and the power of the spirit shouldn't make us flaky. It should make us more faithful. It should make us more well-balanced. But look what it says. That's a whole other sermon. Just threw that in there. It says, be well-balanced and always what? Alert. Because, and it tells us why, your enemy, you have an enemy. Actually, in scripture, he's called your enemy adversary, which means he's going to bring adversity towards you. And then it gives his name, the devil. Look what it says he does. He roams around incessantly like a roaring lion. Now, it doesn't say he is a lion. What I read in scripture, he's the lion. He just roams around acting like the lion. He's looking for some prey to devour. So what do you do? Verse 9. So you need to take a decisive stand against the adversary and resist his every attack. Look what it says. With strong, vigorous what? With strong, vigorous faith. I'm going to put some faith in the fact that he delegated authority to me. I'm going to put some faith in the fact that behind the badge is a source of energy or power or authority. I just got the badge. He won the victory. Okay, all right, stick with me. To stand strong against every attack with vigor. I love that. Vigorous faith. What if we had some vigorous faith? Because sometimes we got some wimpy faith. We, sometimes in America, we're just wimpy. Okay, let me get back to this. For you know this. Your brothers and sisters all around the world, they go through the same kind of troubles that you're enduring. And let me share something that I think should shake our minds and our hearts this morning. Jesus was convicted, essentially, of being a terrorist. And he was put on a cross. Now, there are a lot of us that have necklaces with a cross on them. Some of us have tattoos with crosses, and they're reminders, and we need to remember the cross. But stick with me for a moment. The cross, was a, it's, it's an image, and it was a place of defeat, because Jesus was crucified on the cross, and what happened there? He died. All of his followers, all of his miracles, all of his teachings came to a screeching halt, and he was dead. And they took him off a cross, and they put him in a grave, 
and it was over. He actually said, it's finished. He took his last breath. He actually said, Father, why did you forsake me? That's not a moment of victory. If the story ended there, our whole Christian doctrine would be like a Walt Di- or a Disney theme. But there's the rest of the story, which means just a few days later, Jesus came out of the grave with the keys of authority, and he tossed them to the church. And then the Bible said he, he, he ascended to heaven, and he sat down at the throne. So li- listen to me. We need to remember the cross, but the cross was a place of defeat. But don't camp there because Jesus is not at the cross anymore. He's at the throne. And the Bible says in Ephesians, it says this, we are seated with him at the throne in heavenly realms. In other words, we've been looking at it through the cross. That's just the starting point. We need to see it from the throne. See, if you were at the cross, you're looking up at a symbol. In the, in the ancient times, it would be like us staring at an electric chair. It meant death. It meant finality. So, so we need to remember the cross, and we start at the cross, but we got to start living our lives from the throne. There's a different perspective from the throne. It's a place of victory, and he's sitting at the throne right now, and the Bible said he's ever interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's believing for you. He's, he's reacting to your prayers. See, you cannot... Some of the things we say and some of the things that we do are so victim-oriented and not victor-oriented. Come on, are you with me? And we got to start looking at it how he said it's from the perspective of the throne. See, if the devil can keep you in this arena of doubt, he'll whoop you every time. He will, he'll drag you into his home turf. He'll bring you into doubt. You start doubting, and he will, I'm just telling you, he will whip you every time. But if you can drag him out of that arena over into the faith arena, you, you're going to start putting a whooping on him. Amen. Come on, you got to keep it over in the faith realm. And he will, he will trash talk you. He will, now think about this. Let, let's say you're about to, um, stick with me for a moment. You're, you're, you're about to, um, you're on the basketball court. Just picture yourself. You're on the basketball court. You got the ball. That guy's standing across from you, and he starts saying things like, dude, you're a loser. You are a loser. You, you, you're, I'm going to take that ball from you. you got no game. You, you look terrible. you got no shot. And, and what if in you, you're like, yeah, you know what? i got no game. I was born a loser. My parents raised me a loser. I married a loser. My kids are losers. My job, I just lose all the time. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to accept my losability. I'm embracing it. It's my identity. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you got to have an answer for that. You've got to be step up and say, all right, all right, here we go. You need to back off. You need to back off with that talk. You need to back off with that talk that I can't do this, that I'm not over. You need to back off that talk. I'm not forgiven. You need to back off that talk. God's not a healer. You need to back off well, who said so. My, my father said so. In the name of Jesus, that's who said so. That's the power behind my game. I'm telling you, sometimes we just take it in, we just start talking, we just start repeating this victim mentality stuff. There's this really, really cool story in in the book, and I'll try to do it justice, but I I would challenge you to go read it on your own. Brother Hagin is having this vision, and he's talking to Jesus. And the whole time he's talking to Jesus, he said, all of a sudden, this little, like, monkey figure appears, and every time Jesus would talk, it would be like yakety, yak, 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 almost like the smoke screen. And he couldn't hear anything that Jesus was trying to tell him. And his thoughts immediately were this, why doesn't Jesus do something with this entity? 
Why doesn't he stop this? And finally it went on and went on. And finally he got so mad that he said, in the name of Jesus, shut up. And immediately it fell and it scampered off. And Jesus said this to him, I know you were thinking, why didn't I do something? But I told you to do something about it. I believe there are some things in our life that we're crying out about that God said, I've already given you authority. Do something. Speak to it. Talk to it. Deal with it. I gave you the delegated authority. Now, before I get to the last point, y'all doing all right in this good stuff? Before I get to the last point, I, I, I was just praying and I was thinking about this. Are there some things, or let me put it this way. Can our authority be taken from us? Can we lose our authority? Well, I was praying about that, and I was thinking, I, I don't think that we can lose our authority because God delegated it to us as believers. But I do believe it could go dormant or inoperative in our life. So I started praying, God, what, what would make it go inoperative in our life? And, and I came up with these three things that could make, because remember, we're talking about exercising our authority by faith. Here's the first thing I think that could make our authority be an operative. And it's kind of a, a funny way of saying it, but here's how I worded it. Insubordinate thinking. Insubordinate thinking. Let me read to you what I wrote down. The great power of God is effectually only for those who believe. The power of God working in our lives only works if we what? Believe. If our thinking is insubordinate, what I mean by that, if it's not in agreement with the word of God, we cannot walk in authority. I wrote this down. Listen, I thought this was cool. I hope you do. We must believe to receive, but if we doubt, we go without. That's where you help me out and you go, ooh. Okay, so let me say that again. We must believe to receive. If we doubt, we go without. We've got to believe that we've been delegated with authority. And it's not you, it's not me. It's the source behind that authority. Do you know that when, in essence, Romans says this, we need to, on a daily basis, renew our what? Stinking thinking. You cannot think like a victim and walk in victory. Can't do it. You cannot think in fear and walk in faith. So we've got to begin to let the word of God change what? Our th- it's the only way we're going to walk in authority. Because if we are thinking, well, I, this problem's too big. And just like that trash talking story, that boy starts talking. If we start listening and we start buying in, we'll start, we, we, we believe what we think on. Okay. It's called reasoning. And we just reason things. And you can reason yourself right into doubt or you can reason yourself right out of doubt with the word of God. But if our thinking is not believing we have authority and this, oh, this problem is too big and uh, it's been there since the 80s and uh, we got our thinking just gets wrong. We will never walk in authority that we can walk in if our thinking's off. And the second area I would say that, that keeps us out of authority is just dangerous declarations. See, you're going to talk what you're thinking. So when you start saying, I can't, I never will, I won't, guess what? You are right. But if he says you can and you will and you have, you just need to repeat what he says. Because when that thing starts trash talking, you, you, you're never going to be healed. You're never going to get that house. You're never going to see that breakthrough. You're always going to have this problem. God's never going to provide. You can either buy into it, reason with it, or agree with it, or you could say, nope, that's not what he said. 
I'm going to have that house. I'm going to have that promotion. I'm going to have that breakthrough. I'm going to walk in my destiny. God has for me. Well, who says so? I'm standing before you. And I'm called opposition. Well, I'm standing before you, and I've called his name. He said so. But if we go around saying, I can't, I won't, I'm this, I'm broke, I'm down, I'm out. Those are dangerous declarations. You cannot speak those things and speak authority. How do you think that you exercise authority? It's right here. So in our life, it can go inoperative if, we're, if our thinking is insubordinate to the word of God and if we have dangerous declarations. And, and here's the third thing. If we have rebellious actions. Now there is a drastic difference between rebellion and sin. Sin just means this. I, I missed the mark. If that's the target and I missed it, guess what? We're going to err sometimes. Anyone miss the mark this week? Not with the rest half of you spiritual giants. I understand. For the rest of anyone miss it this morning? Anyone miss it since you sat down? Yeah, he's just talking too much. (laughs) We miss the mark. It's just sin. And we're going to miss the mark. But rebellion is a whole different thing. Rebellion is when you're just like, I know what the word says, but I'm going to live like this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to conduct myself like this. I'm going to do this. I know what the Bible says about marriage. I'm just going to move in with this person. I know what the Bible says about this. I'm just going to do this. That's called rebellion. And rebellion will keep you from being able to walk in authority. Not sin, but because what you're saying is, I'm just going to do my thing. You can't just do your thing and walk in authority. And if you miss that, if you've blown it, if you've been rebellious somewhere, what do you do? You just repent. You just bring it back under. God change, you get right back. It's called grace. But see, here's the deal. If you're here and you missed the mark a few times, hey, God, I, I missed it. You're under grace. But if I'm just out here, so you just start getting further and further and further out, and you get over it, then you have to start excusing your own behavior, and it's your opinion against God, and God calls that rebellion. It's called pride. I can't be in pride and walk in authority. And all of a sudden, the devil shows up like never before. He's got a hold on your life. And then you start trying to find out how to use the name of Jesus. That's a tough place to be in. And that's why people find themselves and their lives in a mess. And you wonder how you got there. The good news is grace. You get back. Are right, you ready for one more point? Are you sure? <laughs> all right. So it's this power. It's delegated to us. It's exercised by faith. And here's the last point. Authority is always recognized by the enemy. It's always recognized by the enemy. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. To forbid on earth what is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth what's released in heaven. The value of our authority rests on the power behind it. And Jesus said, I give you the keys of earth, they're a sign of authority. If it's bound in heaven, The church has the keys to bind it on earth. You can bind it in your life. If it's loosed in heaven, you have the authority to loose it in your life. See, the devil is always going to come. He's going to entice. But it's up to us to do something with the devil. He's a defeated foe. He's under our feet. Keep him there. And sometimes we open the door to some things. And sometimes we we just got to, God, I'm sorry about that. Get back in a place of authority. Now, um, any football fans... Let me say this before I tell this. Um, The devil has a legal lease right now on the earth. The Bible says he's the God of this world. And that means this. He has rule over, this is what it means, the fashion, the education, the science, the philosophy, and the entertainment of the world. That's how he works. Here's the deal, though. When you became a believer, you're no longer under that authority. 
But he has, he has a list of things. So, so let's say this. Let's say, let's say that um, you're at home and your neighbor comes over, kicks in your door. He's drunk. He's cussing. He's yelling. He's throwing a fit, making a spectacle, all kinds of chaos going on. You, what would you do? You would, you would tell him, A, get out. Shut up and get out. You would, B, put him in a headlock, give him a few of these, and escort him home. Or you would dial what? 911 and call in the authorities to remove him from your property. But what if you went over to his house and he's throwing a fit, cussing, drunk, acting crazy, and you're like, oh, in the name of, gee, you just need to be quiet. You just need, how many know it doesn't work on his turf? You could call the cops and they would show up and guess what? They're going to say, well, it's his house. You need to go back to your house. My point is there are things that have invaded your space. There are things that have come at you and it's your turf. You have every right to call on the authority. You have every right to speak to some things. You have every right to cast some things out. Now, if you go over into some other areas, you don't have the authority there and you don't have authority over the will of people's lives. But in your zone, in your place, that makes sense? So think about this. If you like football, um, I do think, this is my opinion, that the best athletes are professional football players. And, and here's why. You have to be a great athlete to play, you know, to play professional basketball and baseball and all that. But in football, you have to be very smart. You have to be very skilled. You have to have a lot of strength. You have to have a lot of speed. And uh, the, the other sports, you have to have most of those, but football is one where you have to have all that, and it's put on challenge with collision after collision in a playing field of a lot of action, energy, effort. It's very violent. And you've seen those guys. They're huge, the best trained athletes in the world. Then they put on helmets and shoulder pads and all this equipment, and they're on the field. It is collision, collision, play after play, play after play. And you would think, what if, what if all of a sudden they came and grabbed you and threw you on that field? No pads, no nothing, just little old you. And you're like, and these, these plays are coming at you and these huge players are coming at you and all these things are coming at you. How many of that would be a little fearful? Don't get over spiritual for a moment. Just say, that'd, that'd be intimidating. Now, you would think, man, these are, these are the strongest, most violent, scariest. They carry the most power on this field. But, but I want to propose something to you. that They're about, I don't know how many, six, to eight old guys with really tight white pants and stripes and a little whistle and a little hanky that owned the authority on that field. Now, if they went one-on-one -on -one in a physical sense, do you think that old guy called a referee would whip that big guy in all the equipment? No, but he has more authority on that field. Why? He's keeping the rules. And you may think, you may feel like you're on that playing field and there's a lot of big things coming at you and they are oversizing you and they are bigger than you and they're more violent than you and you feel like maybe you're over in under your head. But remember, you, all you got to know is you may be that little old guy in white tight pants with nothing but a whistle and a hanky, but you have more authority. Because all of a sudden those guys will make a play and the referee will he'll blow that whistle and he'll throw that flag. And he'll say, you were Offsides, mister, that's, you know, you do all the stuff. Or holding or incomplete or pass interference. Those referees are calling the shots because they have the authority. It's just like that in life. There may be some things coming at you, and guess what? Maybe all you got is 
That didn't do, can somebody whistle for me? Ready, one, two, three. Somebody went, that's the wrong whistle. You, you, you blow the whistle. And, and, and you might need to blow, there may be some things coming at your life and you need to blow the whistle. And what I mean by blow the whistle is, all right, devil, that stops there. That's not what the word of God said. Devil, you're offside. You have crossed the line. You have encroached. You, you have interfered. Come on, somebody. You have, you, have, you have gone across where you shouldn't have gone. Uh, and I'm taking my Jesus flag out. And... Instead of just letting everything come and everything happen, you need to call some things that are out of line, they are out of place in your life. Something still stole some joy. Something's coming against my body. Something's coming against my marriage. Something's coming. You've got to call it out. Call it what it is. You have the authority. That torment doesn't belong there. That lack of peace can't stay there. That attack can't remain there. Well, y'all getting this? Now, now here's something. I heard Stephen Furtick say this. He said, every once in a while, there'll be a play called on the field, and it doesn't seem right. Because sometimes you may feel like you're stepping up in your authority, and your authority's not working. And he said, what happens every once in a while, you'll see a play on the field, and all of a sudden, the coach will throw a little red flag out on the field, and, it, and it's the flag that signifies that they, they need to review the play. So they will go over to this little camera, and it's called going under the hood, and they'll look under the hood, and they'll watch the play, and they'll replay the play, and they'll watch it over and over to make sure that they got it right. And all of a sudden, they'll walk back out on the field, and they'll say something like this, under further review, the call has been changed. Or under further review, with further evidence, we have found that the play call stays as called. Sometimes you've got to go back under the hood, which is the word of God, look again, come back out and say, under further review, you were wrong, I am healed. Under further review, the word of God says, I am free. Under further review, the word says, I am a victor, not a victim. Under further review, I've looked at further evidence from a different perspective. I was looking at it from defeat. Now I'm looking at it from victory. I'm looking at it from the throne. Under further review, we're going to change the call. No longer am I going to accept that defeat. Let's stand to our feet. No longer am I going to accept that thinking. No, are y'all with me? No longer am I going to accept. Why? Because the devil has to respond. He has to respond to authority. It's the way God said it. He has to. And what is authority? The word of God is authority. Did y'all got that? The word of God. If something is out of line coming, it's the word of God. Is He has to respond to a believer who believes the word of God. Did y'all get that? He has to respond to a believer who believes the word of God. Anyone believe the word of God? Well, they call us what? Believers. Let me hit you with one more thing. This book is called The Believer's Authority. And sometimes, listen to me, the devil and the culture that we are in tries to de-intensify our beliefs. And there is a movement subtly happening all across the church world of accepting some things that are so much less than the words of Jesus and buying in. And it, what it's doing is making the church, which should be a house of warriors, into a bunch of wimps. And we're buying in. Well, we're just supposed to love. Now, we are supposed to love. It's the fruit of our life. But this is not called the lover's authority. This is called the believer's 
authority. And all I mean by that is don't accept everything that comes at you and don't accept every doctrine. We got to accept things like you have authority. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to preach you a wimpy message. I'm trying to, trying to man you up this morning. I'm trying to fire you up, trying to get some faith in you that you are. There, listen to me. I just feel this speaking. There are some things that have happened around you, happened to you, and it's time to stop allowing them. Especially in the thought realm. You have authority. The devil will talk you out of who you are if you allow him. He'll keep you on a lower level if you allow him. And it may feel like he has the power to do so, but he does not have the authority to do so. You do have the authority to tell him no. And you do have the authority to tell all of heaven yes. You know, if someone tried to invade my home and come at my wife or my daughters, I have authority in that house and I would use it. I wouldn't be like, oh, this is bad, this is bad. Oh, Lord, we need some help here. No. <laughs> it's just voice that comes out. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to get rid of it. Um, <laughs> it's my joking voice. I use it all. It just comes out. Um, but how many you would understand if I responded appropriately? I want to challenge you. Start responding appropriately with your authority got me he delegated that power to you he delegated the power of heaven to you if we exercise it by faith it works and the devil has to respond to it now I had someone say something to me on the way out of the first service I said you know I just kept using my authority and it got worse well the devil will push at you remember we read earlier incessantly what do you do if it didn't work the first time he keeps speaking you keep standing your ground. You ever had someone mess with your authority? You know, that cop I was talking about, I mentioned this, but he could be challenged, but he still has authority. You know I mean? Listen, you, you might be challenged, and if God has to, he'll call in backups. You keep standing. You keep standing right now on that what you're believing for, that breakthrough. Come on, somebody. That breakthrough in your body, you keep standing. That breakthrough for your marriage, you keep standing. That breakthrough with your kids, you keep standing. That breakthrough in your finances, you keep standing. And you stand in vigorous faith because you, when you do, all of heaven backs you up. If you believe, you receive. If you doubt, you go without. I don't want you to go without. Father, I thank you for your word.